Well, for those of you who are just joining us, uh, we've been spending our, our days, our, our Sundays, in uh, the book of Genesis. And specifically what's been dominating our conversation in Genesis has been the, the, the account of the flood. And whether you've spent a lot of hours in church or not many hours in church, you probably have some sort of familiarity with the, the, with the flood story, the flood narrative. This idea that, that, that God put Noah in the ark. And you begin to wonder, like, what's that about? And what we've been doing is we've been looking at the story and trying to understand, like, what is, it's more than just a children's story. And there's so many of the Bible stories that we just, we think that they're children's stories, and so then we get up and we grow out of them, but you actually go, you realize this was not just a story to tell children. This was a story that God, about what God was doing. And really what we see in Genesis 3, right? We see the fall of humanity in Genesis 3. Genesis 4 and Genesis 5 is that things get worse and worse and worse. There's a downward spiral of humanity. And we think one of the things we think that if, if humanity is just given more time, this is what secularists think, if we're just given more time, if we have more hours in the day, if we have more time, then we will be able to figure out how to better humanity, we just need more time. And actually what Genesis tells us, actually, no, really, the more time we have, the worse it's going to get. And what Genesis 6 then tells us is this idea that this violence and corruption has increased and increased. And Genesis 6 and 7 and 8, it answers the questions that we all want answered in these moments when violence and corruption increases. It's the questions that we're asking now, right? The questions are, how bad does it have to get Right? How bad does this have to get? How, how much worse is this going to get before something changes? And then we want to know who's going to do something about it. Who's going to step in? How bad does it have to get? And then who's going to change this whole thing? And so, and so the beautiful thing about Genesis 6 is that God says, it's not going to get any worse than this. And he says, and I'm going to do something about it. And that's the story of Noah and the ark. Violence and corruption had increased. God said, it's not going to get any worse. In fact, I'm going to step in and I'm going to do something about it. And what we see in this is that God brings judgment. That's what the flood is. That the flood is judgment. And in that judgment is that God provides salvation. He offers salvation, right? Noah, I'm bringing a flood. You should build an ark. He provides that salvation. Noah, get into the ark. And then he secures that salvation, which is, he says that he closes Noah into the ark. And as we saw last week, as the rains came down and the waters came up, right? The waters from below burst forth. As the waters came down and the waters came up, as it rained down and the floods came up, is that, is that the ark raised up. And the same thing, the very same thing, the water that God used to bring judgment on some, condemn some, he used to save Noah. Is that actually the water that was bringing condemnation to some was actually bringing salvation to others. Noah and the ark, for it's the water that raised him up. And so where we left Noah last week was he's in the boat. The water is raised up. And remember, right, it, we, these pictures we get of this, this pristine water, not true. Have you ever seen a flood in a community? It is not pristine water. Pristine water, it is muddy. It is murky. It is full of debris. And in this case, probably full of, we would say, like dead things. Because that's what floats. So that's where we left Noah. If you've got your Bibles, turn with me to, to Genesis chapter 8. And we're going to start in verse 1. It says this, But God remembered Noah 
and all the beasts and all the livestock that were with it with him in the ark. And God made a wind blow over the earth and the waters subsided. Some of the most beautiful verses in the Bible there. But God remembered Noah. God remembered Noah. You know, I think that it's a beautiful thing to be remembered by God. And right, just at the risk of stating the obvious, this was not a memory loss problem for God, right? Like he was like, oh yeah, that's right. We put Noah on the ark. Or like we lost him. Like we don't know where did we put him. Last time I saw him, he was over here. But I think the currents took him somewhere else. This is not one of memory loss. This is not one of like we lost him. This is one of relationship, of blessing. Because to be remembered by God is to, is to receive blessing. That's why when people don't receive blessings or you feel like you're, you're, being, you're experiencing more curses than you are blessings, one of your questions is, does God even see me? Does he remember me? Does he know me? And I find some, sometimes when, what happens is when people, when people feel like God has forgotten them, guess what they do in return? I'll forget you. You're going to forget me? I'll forget you. And so, so what we see here is that God remembers Noah as a form of blessing. To be forgotten by God is a curse. You know that there's places in the Bible where we don't have the names of people. And the whole idea is that the Bible doesn't name you, you're not remembered. It's a bad thing to be forgotten in the Bible. And the, the idea is that even to, even to record your name, it means that you're going to be like remembered and you shouldn't be remembered. And so you're going to be forgotten for history. And it's a beautiful blessing to be remembered by God. And that's how you feel when you go through difficult things. You feel like maybe God has forgotten you. Because that's the whole thing, right? If he remembered, if he saw you, then you wouldn't be going through what you're going through. You wouldn't have to, you wouldn't have to experience what you're experiencing. God, Because if God saw you, he would bring blessings to you. And so you, because you think of that, because you don't, you're not experiencing that, you go, he's forgotten me. But here is the beautiful thing. And if you remember nothing else, I guess this morning, know this, is that God has not forgotten you. He remembers you. He knows you. And even if you are in the middle of the craziness, he still sees you. And that's good to know. I mean, I can't imagine for Noah, Right? Because from what we tell in the, in the scriptures is that he's told that the rain is coming, but doesn't really tell what is going to happen after that. And so, so I can't imagine for Noah like experiencing all of this death and debris, all of this destruction, all of this just water and, and just the intensity of the last 40 days. And then to be thinking like, I think maybe I've been forgotten by God. And chapter 8, verse 1, nope, God has remembered him. And it says the spirit, sorry, it says the wind was over the water. The wind blew and dried things up. That's what it says. Verse 2, the fountains of the deep and the windows of the heavens were closed. And the rain from the heavens were restrained. And the waters receded from the earth continually. And at the, at the end of 150 days, the waters had abated. And in the seventh month, on the 17th day of the month, the ark came to rest on the mountains of Ararat, and the waters continued to abate until the tenth month. In the tenth month, on the first day of the month, the tops of the mountains were seen. 
And so this idea that the wind blows and the water is abated. It's an interesting thing, actually, if you look at a lot of the other accounts of, of the flood stories that are not in the Bible, that the water actually does dry up. But you know what's drying up the water in those accounts? The sun. And Genesis is different in the sense that actually it's not the sun that it says the, the wind blew and then the, the waters receded, this idea. And it's interesting because even with our scientific mind, like I would think, yes, the sun dries up the most, but actually we understand, man, a, a really fast wind dries things out faster than anything else. That's why I got a blow dryer. <laughs> a nice one. I don't just go out and stand in the sun. The blow dryer is going to work faster. But the cool thing here is what do we see back over? You know what we saw in the Genesis 1-1? Like, who's over the waters? The Spirit of God. And here, the word for wind and spirit, by the way, is the same. And so we see, we see the Spirit of God. God brought the judgment, right, the rain, but it's also, it's also the Spirit of God who's drying out the land. And then what else do we see? We see the waters are separated again. The waters below, they stop, they stop pumping up. The waters above, they stop pouring down. And we see the waters separated again. We saw that in Genesis 1. And then what else do we see? It says, and then, and then, after 150 days, we see the peaks again. What makes an appearance? Dry land. Water over the, water over the, sorry, the spirit over the waters. Dry land appears. The waters are separated Verse 8, sorry, verse 6. And at the end of the 40 days, Noah opened the window of the ark that he had made and set forth a raven. It went to and fro until the waters were dried up from the earth. Then he sent forth a dove from him to see if the waters had subsided from the face of the ground. But the dove found no place to set her foot, and she returned back, she returned to him to the ark. For the waters were still on the face of the whole earth. So he put out his hand and took her and brought her into the ark with him. He waited another seven days and again he set forth the dove out of the ark. And the dove came back to him in the evening. And behold, in her mouth was a freshly plucked olive leaf. And so Noah knew that the waters had subsided from the earth. Then he waited another seven days and sent forth the dove and she did not return to him anymore. And so we think to ourselves, the storm's over. But do you know like, how much longer he was there? The storm's over. It's like, oh, and by the way, it was 150 days before they even like, saw the peaks of the mountains. Oh, and by the way, it was, it was even longer to where the ark found rest. Oh, by the way, it was even, even longer after that to where actually there was even dry land below. And even after, longer after that, that actually, that Noah even got out of the ark. I think what we think a lot of times when we see like the story picture uh, of, this, of this story, is what we see is like there's the 40 days of rain. And then we know that there's water, but then like certainly like a day or two later, like the waters are gone, like God has pulled the plug, the water goes down like the bathtub, and then they're out again. But that's not what we see. We see 40 days in the ark, 40 days of rain, but there's a lot more days where it's not raining, but they're just sitting in the ark. 
I think it's a hard thing because I like that a lot of times in life what we think is we think to ourselves, I just need to get through this storm. And if I get through this storm, then everything will be okay again and everything will be back to normal. And then the storm ends, the storm is quote-unquote over and things aren't back to normal. And then you go, well, why is that? And you go, well, sometimes enduring the storm is the easier part. Oftentimes there's actually less patience needed in the storm. There's actually more patience needed in the days that come after the storm. Right? I mean, think about somebody in a, in a, in a literal storm. A tornado's coming through. They get down in the shelter. They can hear the tornado ripping through their neighborhood. And they get something on the radio that says, okay, it's, you're, like, it's safe to come out. And my guess is that most people, right before they go out, of the shelter, they're, they're not, now I've never been in this position, so I'm going to make a, a gross assumption here. But my, my guess is that as they come out of that shelter, they're not thinking to themselves, well, I'm glad that's all over and done with. What are they thinking when they come out of that? How much damage is there? Is my house still standing? Is my neighbor's house still standing? Where are my neighbors? You see, I mean, it, it's not just the endurance. A lot of times with the storm, you get it. You go, the reason why things are so bad is because they're so bad. The reason why I feel bad is because it's bad out there. But what happens in the days after the storm, you go, I don't get it. It's not raining anymore. Skies are clear. But it still feels like the storm is raging. You go, yeah. Because often it's the effects of this storm are much more destructive than the storm itself. And we forget that. You know, Noah, as we understand, is he would be in this ark for about a year. If you kind of calculate it all out, it's about a year. Some people say it's exactly a year. But a year from the moment he steps into that ark to the moment that he steps out of that ark. A year. Forty days of rain. Now, part of you thinks, man, 40 days of rain, that's a long, long time. But when you go 40 days of rain out of the whole year, you go, that's a lot of non-rain days. Could it be that what dominates the story, the narrative of Noah, not days that rain, but what dominates the story, at least of time, is spent on the ark in the waters with no rain. And my guess is for you, like if that's your story, if you are having to, as we would say, endure those places, it's you. And so that's why it can be frustrating. I think about somebody like uh, who goes through surgery, right? Surgery's coming up, and you go, are you nervous about the surgery? They go, no, no, I'm not nervous about the surgery. What can I do? I go in, I get knocked out, I wake up, surgery's done. They go, how long is the recovery? Well, they say it's two days going to be in the hospital, but then they say six months of rehab afterwards. So maybe a, uh, a five-hour surgery, two hours in the hospital, sorry, two days in the hospital, but then six, mo- six to eight months of rehab, which you go, six to eight months, I just heard three months, so, uh, so I think I'm going to be good. And actually what's interesting is that when I talk with people in the places of despair and depression, it's not in the hospital. How'd that surgery go? Great. Actually, the doctor said it went really well. They seem really happy about it. 
how do you feel? Well, a lot of pain, but they said that, that's, that's normal for right now. And so I was actually able to get up out of bed. So that's actually a really good step for me today. Good, good. It's actually not those days. Do you know the days that are the most discouraging of despair and depression for those people who go through those things? Five months down the road. I thought I'd feel better than this by now. I've been going to rehab now for like every week and I don't feel any stronger. And they say keep doing it, but I'm like, why? It doesn't work. So there's an encouragement for you in the story of Noah. And the, the encouragement is sometimes the storm's not the hardest part. Like maybe you're in the storm right now and you go, man, it's raining outside. The storm is raging and I just need to find shelter. You go, good, find the shelter. But for other use, you, the, the storm has been over. But you don't understand why you're still going through what you're going through and why you're still like feeling the way that you're feeling. I go, because sometimes the effects of the storm are more destructive than the storm itself. We see this with Noah. And so then it, it goes on in verse 13. In 600 years, sorry, in the 600, yeah, in the, in the 601st year, in the first month, the first day of the month, the waters were dried from the earth. And Noah removed the covering of the ark and looked, and behold, the face of the ground was dry. In the second month, on the 27th day of the month, the year had dried, the earth had dried out. Then God said to Noah, go out from the ark, you and your wife and your sons and your sons' wives with you. Bring out with you every living thing that is with you, uh, sorry, is with you of all flesh, birds and animals and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth, that they may swarm on the earth and be fruitful and multiply on the earth. So Noah went out and his sons and his wives and his sons' wives with him. Every beast, every creeping thing, every bird, everything that moves on the earth went out by families from the ark. And so then Noah gets sent out of the ark. God says it's time to go. Which is a beautiful thing, because notice what Noah did before, the verses before, right? He's waiting, but what does he do? He actually sends out the birds. Like, hey, can you go, go check, go check, go check, they keep coming back, nothing, nothing. Because he knows, like himself, if the birds can find a better place to be, they're going to stay there. And so he keeps on checking, and finally the birds don't come back. He goes, oh, that bird found a better place to be. I think there's a better place for us to be. But then also God speaks and says, no, it's time to go. And so the storm rages, God protects, but then as the storm like subsides and his effects go away, what does Noah rely on? He relies on his wisdom, like things he knows to do, and the word of God. And so when people go, man, the storm's over, Josh, I don't know what to do. I go, you do what Noah did at some level. You, you, you do what you know how to do. That's the wisdom part. And then you listen for the word of God. And the word of God says, come and says, no, no, it's time to go. But you know what that tells me about the ark? Is that Noah was never supposed to stay in the ark. I mean, think about it. How many years he spent building this? I mean, some people, it doesn't tell us. Some people speculate maybe 100 years. 100 years building this thing. Loaded it all up. It had one purpose. That as the rains came down, the floodwaters came up, that it, it, it provided salvation for him. 
And then when that purpose was over, it's like, it's time to go, Noah. It wasn't building you a house. It's building you an ark. 100 years in production, 40 days of rain, one year it's your abode, but now you go. You see, it wasn't just enough that God saved Noah from the judgment. Because if that was the case, if that's all that God wanted to do to save Noah from the judgment, you know what God could have done? He could have had the waters for the rest of Noah's days and he could have lived on that water and that abode with those animals and his family. Whoa. Might kill a man. (laughs) And so... He could have done that. But that wasn't the purpose of the ark. Is that the water, God knew the waters were going to subside and that Noah one day was going to leave that ark. But what was he saving him to? Did you notice all of the things of creation? Some we've already talked about, right? Genesis 1.1, the Spirit of God is hovering over the waters. Genesis 8.1, what do we find? The Spirit back over the waters, drying it up. Genesis 1-6, we see the waters above and the waters below are separated, right? In, in, in the flood, we saw them come back together. And then what do we see in Genesis 8-1? Is that the waters above and the waters below are once again, they're separated. The waters below are held back. The waters above are held back. Genesis 1-9, what happens in Genesis 1-9? Dry land appears. In Genesis chapter 8, verses 2 through 4, what do we see again? The dry land appears. In Genesis 1-11, vegetation sprouts. Genesis 8-11, the bird comes back with an olive leaf. Vegetation is returned. In Genesis 1.24, the animals populate the earth. They go forth. In Genesis 8.17, the animals, guess what they do? They populate the earth. In Genesis 1.28, Adam and Eve are told to be fruitful and multiply. And then in Genesis 8.17, the command is given again, go be fruitful and multiply. You see, It's not enough that God was saving them from the judgment. He was actually saving them something to something else. Remember we talked about creation, then this decreation that was happening in Genesis with the ark, and now we're talking about this recreation that's being offered to Noah. Noah was not supposed to stay. He was not meant to be in the ark for the rest of his days. Actually, God was inviting him to be a part of the recreation. I'm recreating here, and Noah, I'm using you. I've used you from the old. I saved you from the judgment in the ark. And now what I want you to do is I want you to play your role to do your thing in this new creation. If all that God was doing was going to save Noah from something, he would have left him on the boat. In the water. But he didn't do that. It's not about a God who just saves us from judgment, but it's also a God who saves us to a new creation, a new life. It's interesting, I think, because 
So often in Christianity, what we do is we talk about what Jesus saves us from. And even when people say Jesus saves, and I'm a pastor, I work for a church, I, I study the Bible. But when, when I see the statement, Jesus saves, you know what I think? Just out of the gates, I think, he saves us from hell. See, is that true? Absolutely, that's true. 100% true. He does save us from hell. But that's not all that he does. Because that's all I have to say is that Jesus' Jesus' purpose was to save us from judgment. I go, well, yes, that was Jesus' part of his purpose, to save us from judgment. But it wasn't just about saving us from something, but about saving us to something. And that's when we come back to the story of Noah, is that people think the story of Noah was that, that God saved Noah and his family from the judgment in the ark. That's the story. I go, well, that's part of the story, but that's not the story. Because there's a whole lot of other pages that flow out of that story. The main point of, of the story of Noah was not just that he saved him from judgment, that, but that he saved him from judgment to be a part of the new creation. With Jesus, it's not just that he saves us from hell, but that he saves us to be new people. He saves us to the new creation. The new creation that we will experience externally, the new creation that you will experience internally. That's why so often the Christians are just like, well, Jesus will save you from hell. You don't want to go, you know, go to hell, do you? You don't want to go to hell? No, no. Well, then if you trust in Jesus, you won't go to hell. I go, okay, well, I, I trust in Jesus, and now I won't go to hell. But at best, it's a salvation based in fear. Now, fear is a good motivator. Parents use fear. It's a good motivator. But it can't be the only motivator. And I, I, would, I would submit to you that there is a more compelling motivator. And I think the more compelling motivator is what we are saved to. You see, that in Christ, there is, you are a new creation. He is saving you to something. He is, he is saving you to become more peaceful, more patient. Oh, how you could be more patient, more kind, more gentle, more faithful. You see, it's not just about saving us from the perils of hell, but it's about inviting us into the benefits of heaven, into a relationship with him. And so, so if all we ever do is, is, is just, is just say, if people are saved out of fear, but we never compel them with the hope of things could to be, then, then, then we, we fall into the same way. Like the story of Noah is that he's saved from judgment. Well, he was saved from judgment, but saved to the new creation. If you are in Christ, you are saved from judgment, but you are saved to be something new. And that's what I need. That's what you need. Often it's interesting because I could talk with Christians. I'd go, you think Jesus has saved you from hell? Oh, yeah, amen, hallelujah. I believe it to be true. I see in the Bible, I believed it, I prayed, uh, is that I am, I am saved from hell. Jesus saves me from hell. And I go, good. Do you think that Jesus is going to like do a, a new work in you and that you will become more and more like him every day of your life? I don't know. Why are you confident in what he saves you from, but not as confident in what he saves you to? My guess is 
because you think that he, sa- that he saved you from hell, that's on him, but that you're saved to his likeness, that's on you. But that's actually false. It's not even in the Bible. In fact, the Bible teaches the opposite of that. The Bible teaches that the same one, the same one that saves you from is the same one that saves you to. The same ark, right? Jesus is our better, perfect ark, the one we actually have to never leave. But the one, the same ark that saved Noah from was the same ark that saved him too. The same, the same God, the same Jesus that saves you from hell is the one that saves you to creation. And we believe more confidently in this than we do in this. That's why Paul says, right, in his letter to the church in Philippi, he says, I'm confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion on the day of Jesus Christ. Who will do it? He will do it. But Paul doesn't say, I'm confident of this. You guys will figure it out by the time Jesus shows up. <laughs> he doesn't say, I'm confident of this. That you guys will go to church enough and you'll read your Bible enough. And by the time that Jesus gets here, he'll be like, oh, pretty good. What does he say? I'm confident of this. That he who began the good work in you, that saved you from judgment, that he who began the good work in you, he will be the one to bring it completion to completion on the day of Jesus Christ. That the one who calls you into the ark, you have just as much confidence that he's going to call you out of it. The one who saved you from hell is the one who saves you too. See, some of you that are here and you're not in Jesus, you need to be saved from Say from the judgment because he took the judgment. Say from hell. But for those of you here that are Christians, I think what you need to know is you need to have the confidence that he's saving you to something. And you need to let the saving to to be more compelling than the saving from. You know, I've, what I find a lot of times is that Christians are frustrated by their walk. I'm frustrated with my walk at times, Right? Or maybe you go through life, you're like, actually, I'm doing pretty good. I'm doing all right. That person right there, they used to annoy me. They don't annoy me anymore. I'm, I'm growing. I'm growing. I used to lose my mind in traffic, but I don't lose my mind in traffic anymore. I'm like, you, no, you go. No, you go. I must be growing. So you have these experiences where you go, I think I'm growing, and then something will happen. You go, I'm not, I'm not growing anywhere. I'm, I'm, I'm just as bad as I was before, if not worse. I'm not going anywhere. And you go from pride, I'm doing it well, to despair, I'm not doing it well. Pride, I'm doing well, to despair, I'm not doing well. Ping pong back and forth. And what you don't have is you don't have the confidence that he who began the good work in you will bring it to completion. The one who saved you from is the one who saves you to. The point of the story of Noah is not that God saved him from judgment on the ark, but that God saved him from judgment to the new creation and used the ark to do it. Your story is not just one that God has saved you from condemnation and hell, but that he has saved you to a life with him in which you are, not only are you with him, but you reflect him and his likeness. And so my encouragement to you, wherever you are and wherever you find yourself on that walk, frustrated and broken down, you go, the good news is, the good news is and the bad news is, it's not on you. 
that he who began the good work in you, the one that saved you from, is the one who's saving you to, and that we can find rest in that. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you are good to us. We thank you that not only is it that you're saving us from the peril of hell, but you're saving us to the beauty of heaven, of relationship restored, that you are saving us to your likeness, that you are in the process, oh, you have saved, you are in the process of saving us. And whether we find ourselves building the ark, whether we find ourselves in the storm, whether we find ourselves in the, uh, the aftermath of the storm, I pray that this morning there would be an encouragement that, that we would have the same confidence that you are the one who calls us from are the same one that calls us to. Jesus, we thank you that you are the better, more perfect ark, the one that we actually don't ever have to leave the one we can reside to, the one we can find refuge in. That you are the one who saves us from the old creation and you are the one who saves us to the new creation. God, I pray we would be new people. This world doesn't need just to be saved from the badness This world needs a recreation. We don't need to be saved from just stop doing the bad things that we do and saying the bad things that we say. We need to be new creations. And that's what you offer us. We thank you. We thank you that's that's the offer in Genesis. We thank you that's the offer in Revelation and everything in between. We love you. We pray for these things in your name. Amen.